horror fan, best friends, and ghoulish knights, and welcome to the 16th episode of Murders with Mertens. I am your host, Joe, and this is a podcast about horror, psychological thrillers, cosmic horror, body horror, the horror adjacent, the supernatural, scary films in general. Each episode, I sit down with a guest and discuss one of their favorite scary films so we can gush about everything that makes it just so damned cool. Viewers, thank you for the support. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe if you are so inclined. It all helps to get the word out and bring some much-needed love to this fledgling podcast. I have a minor goal of reaching 100 subs so I can get a custom URL for the channel, so, you know, help! But uh, other than that, tonight, I have the absolute joy of welcoming the one, the only, McKenna May. McKenna, how's about you? Oh, I'm so excited. Hi! <laughs> Hello! <laughs> I'm doing great. Well, I absolutely had to reciprocate because you and Brandon had me on for Blade Runner. And uh, we had talked about doing this, uh, the film that we're going to talk about tonight here uh, for a bit. And uh, I'm, I'm glad you had the time. This is very cool. It's, so the, there, there is something perfect about Maqueda finding older films and finding <laughs> such joy in them. Um, it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and it, it's very clear. Yeah. Uh, it's very, very clear that you and Brandon have a ton of fun on HBO Max. Uh, so oh, yes. I'm glad that thing is continuing to roll on. It's cool. Thank you. Yeah. But yes, thanks for being on. Uh, tonight's topic is 1991's The Silence of the Lambs, written by uh, Ted Talley, adapted from the book by Thomas Harris, and directed by Jonathan Demme. Uh, what's your history with this film? Oh, gosh. So, um, let's see here. Well, in general, horror. I'm a big scaredy cat, so I... <laughs> scares me a lot. Um, but last year, uh, I found the book, Silence of the Lambs, in the bookstore. I was like, yeah, let's give it a shot. Why not? It's a book. How scary could it be? Ooh, it was scary. And then, um... I worked, I, I breezed through it. I loved it. And then I, it took me about a month to actually sit down and watch the movie because I was really scared that I would just have nightmares. Um, I only had a few. It was fine. It was a great movie. Um, and then, uh, yeah, recently I got back into the series. I watched Hannibal. Now I'm reading The Red Dragon. I have the, the third Hannibal book. I am, I just love the series. I think Thomas Harris created such a good uh interesting world good might yeah. be a strong word an interesting <laughs> world <laughs> yeah there's not a lot of good that happens no um, no not particularly no, no. no bad stuff happens to a lot of let's be honest bad people as well oh yeah but, uh, absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um did you say you also uh watched the hannibal series with mads mickelson i did i just finished it last week um oh, so Oh, good. Ends on such a big cliffhanger. Um, so I, I jumped right into Red Dragon just because that was like the last half of the last season. Maybe mm -hmm. I'll get answers. Who knows? We'll find out. I'm only in the beginning. But okay. Hope, uh... It's another excellent book. It's really good. Um, <laughs> uh, if you enjoy the book, make sure to not only check out the, the, the film with uh, Edward Norton and Anthony Hopkins, but... Uh, Manhunter, the Michael Mann film from the 80s, which was the original adaptation. Have you seen this? I haven't, but so many people have talked to me about it. Brian Cox is an unlikely Hannibal Lecter. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, but uh, it's just, it's such a good story. And it's just that typical Michael Mann, okay, he's like fresh off of Miami Vice at that point. And, you know, no last in the Mohicans or Heat yet, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you like Michael Mann movies, you will probably enjoy it. Um, yeah, um, well, my history is a little bit longer uh, with this film because, I mean, it, the time it came out, it was a phenomenon. Uh, it was the first and only so far best picture winner at the Oscars for, uh, you know, a horror film, which it, it very much is. There's people that are like, that's not horror. Bullshit. This oh, is straight I, up a I horror film. Oh, yes. <laughs> thrillers, you know, and psychological thrillers, psychological horror, that all, you know, skirts the line, of course. But yeah, sure. This is absolutely horror. Uh, it's it's fucking terrifying is what it is. You know, you, you get all these real world inspirations like Ed Gein and, you know, uh, yeah, just the, 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 the birth of FBI profiling in the late 70s, early 80s, which I mean, this I don't know if you've ever seen the, the Fincher show on Netflix. Uh, what is it? Mindhunters. Um, oh it's it's interesting it's about basically the start of the fbi interviewing serial killers just so they can kind of start to wrap their heads around the phenomena and uh yeah uh wow this movie uh and it goes on to inspire a lot of other cool stuff too um you know we'll probably get into that as we talk about it but uh yeah, I probably saw it a little too young. I was probably 12 or 13. You know, it was probably like on video after this, you know, was released. Um, I guess it was kind of a big deal because this was the first time that a movie was on home media by the time the uh, Oscars were, you know, happening and everything. Because um, it used to take a long time for a lot of movies to come out. And now we get that, you know, like what, 45 day turnaround sometimes with HBO Max. And uh, it's uh, it's a little faster paced. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I saw it, thought it was just cool as hell. And then just the more I've seen this film over the years, you know, better part of 30 years, really. Um, it, it's just there's more little bits that you pick out as you're seeing it. There's a very cool style to this film. It feels very old, but very new. It's, you know, just that kind of perfect transition of the early 90s where film and music and television uh, were just going through this interesting evolution. And, uh, oh, yeah, it's it's one of those for sure. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it's just and just the, the bits of cool pop culture shit that has come from this that over time because you know you only saw it within the past year but i'm sure you've heard so many lines there's so many references it, it's it's in the zeitgeist for sure and uh, oh yeah there there was the different different parts i was like oh that came from this okay it all makes sense now it's all coming together yeah oh, so yeah cool. oh it's it's good stuff for sure and it just amazing performances. Uh, God, it's it's amazing that we've gotten at least three uh, turns from Anthony Hopkins as this character now, mm-hmm. um, which, is, which is great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I really enjoy Mads Mikkelsen's performance as well. But, um, yeah, there's just 
This is the classic. This is... Whew. I, I, I will say, I never had any night... Well, okay, I had one nightmare while watching Hannibal across the three seasons. I had multiple nightmares watching Anthony Hopkins' Hannibal Lecter. Not not to discount Maz Mickelson, but I, I don't. there's just something about how Anthony Hopkins plays it that's just so much more unnerving. I don't know. Something about him. Yep. Um, just continued rewatches just helped to pick up so much nuance from his performance. Um, I, I noticed a little thing he does um, that we'll get into as we get into the plot here that just it, it's this fun little taunt with out you even realizing it's happening until it's absolutely happening we'll, we'll get into that uh i i i, I, don't, I don't really want to you know waste too much more time i want to get into this um we, we we start with some you know fun opening credits uh with a really interesting font choice i like the font choice here i think it's really cool that white outline on the black lettering it's it's very bold yes uh it's not something you see used very often in film um but yeah uh and it's a cool howard shore score um I, I like the score quite a bit. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I definitely, it definitely sets the tone, which is, I mean, obviously most scores do, but like this one really, it, it, it puts you in the place of like, of the characters, like, oh, feels, if you feel what oh. they feel. And, and there's something else that does that, but we're going to wait a minute before we talk yeah, about that. Yeah. So we get this, you know, introduction with the score and Clary Starling. She's, uh, you know, running the obstacle chorus in Quantico and, uh, she's, uh, you know, just busting her ass there. And, you know, I'm thinking this is probably a period where there were not a lot of women in the FBI. So she's probably working extra, extra hard to prove herself here. Um, but, uh, it's a very all business opening too. She's charging through this course. She's, you know, nearly hanging herself on that rope thingy, uh, when she does the little flip. I, I could see how that could go so wrong. Um, but it's it's great seeing uh, Jodie Foster do all this stuff herself, too. That's that's fun. But uh, she gets called off the course. Uh, and in any other movie, I think she would have gotten, like, all cleaned up and all done up and put on a suit to go meet with uh, Jack Crawford, right? But no, she makes her way through all these different training sections. We're introduced to her roommate, Ardelia. Um and she's like soaked in sweat and making her way through all these places and, you know, meets uh, some of Crawford's coworkers that tell her to just go wait in the office. And this is where we get some awesome environmental storytelling. Uh, we see all the little um, clippings and uh, photos and everything else, you know, basically the murder board with all the twine and everything else. Right. Um, of course, classic. Oh yes. Yes. Um, and <laughs> you know nobody's got time to tell her okay you smell like shit go take a shower no because she is there for everybody is all business right mm -hmm. um and let's see at this point um this is the part that is probably absolutely talked to death about this film but i still want to talk about it quite badly uh staring contest conversation battles um which we get many of throughout this film, right? <laughs> oh, yes. Um, 
you know, you get the characters speaking directly into the camera as they talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like this test of wills, right? It's like the person who looks away is the one who loses the conversation. Uh, but the, the other thing that I wanted to bring up is that this technique really makes you feel like you're in this movie. Like you are part of these conversations. I mean, I I, want to hear your takes on all of this because it's like one of the most fun parts of this film that makes it just so freaking cool. Yes. So, okay, so I am a person who's terrible with eye contact. And let me tell you what, if you want to practice holding eye contact, watch this movie. Like, I I just found, like, I was just absolutely captivated. It's like, oh, I am Jodie Foster. Like, this is me. I am Starling. Um, put me in coach, essentially. Um, and it, it, like, like I mentioned with the score, like, you really feel like you are a part of this movie. And it just, like, adds that extra layer of, like, oh, shit this is intense we're in it for the long haul like we are going to catch buffalo bill like it i i loved this technique so much like you uh, oh i love uh, i love it yeah and it's not used in absolutely every conversation and there are parts of different conversations where they cut out of it and then cut back into it Mm -hmm. but um still oh god does it ever work and i don't know that i've seen anything like this Mm -mm. in anything before or since really um it's just so specific to this film and i it, mm-hmm. it's like it's, i love that like extra close-up too as well like you are yeah you fill you the frame everything yes exactly oh so good it's so, so much so there there's very much a reason why this is you know not only one of my favorite scary movies but also one of my just absolute favorite films of all time uh i i have such a hard time pinning pinning a specific film for any genre, let alone just like top film or anything like that. But I would say very easily, this would always be in a top five. There is just so much to love here. Um, There's some stuff that hasn't aged quite so well in this film and some stuff that a lot of people take issue with, and we'll probably get to that. But, um, you know, that said, oh crap. Yes. Um, So we um, start the first uh, staring contest conversation battle. Um, there's, there's probably a funny acronym there, but I can't think about that right now. Um, but, uh, yes, Crawford, uh, you know, says hi to Clarice. He tells her to sit down. He brings up that he remembers her from the seminar that he taught at UVA, um, where he gave her an A minus. Um, and they, they talk about how, you know, ultimately, um, you know, she would like to come to work for him in behavioral science, uh, once she graduates. Uh, you know, he is very much, um, this role model to her. Uh, and well, yeah, he thinks that's just great. And he's got an interesting errand for her, Hannibal <laughs> Lecter. And she just like almost barely whispers the nickname back. Yeah. Hannibal, Hannibal, Hannibal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it, it tells you everything you need to know about so much of this film in these first few conversations. Um, it's not like typical exposition. It's, you know, you're just, you're picking up what they're laying down, right? Yes. Yes, you are. Uh, and, uh, this conversation and then the next, uh, just perfectly set up who Hannibal is. 
uh, because this dovetails with the uh, conversation that she then has with the uh, director of the, what is it, Baltimore State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, uh, mm-hmm. Frederick Chilton. And we also learned very quickly what a fucking creep Chilton is. I hate him. I wrote my notes. I hate Chilton. It's underlined in everything. I hate that dude. And if it was solidified in Hannibal, I... Yeah, at least they have more fun with the character in Hannibal. Um, yeah, that is true. That is true. He's still an asshole, though. Oh, absolutely. He is <laughs> such a dick. He, he makes this really ham-fisted pass at her. And, uh, yeah, she's like, no. We're going to do it. Do here. Um, so, you know, he, he walks her downstairs while going over all the rules and everything. Again, setting up what Hannibal is who this person is, uh, this monster. Uh, and then we finally, finally get rid of Chilton. And there's Barney. who's just this breath of fresh air. He's so kind. Yes, he's very kind to her. And, you know, he, he does some nice stuff later on in the film as well. Um, but then as she walks down the row of the worst of the worst in this asylum, um, uh, just... Fuck all the way off, Migs. Just <laughs> I hate him. Oh, I hate my trash can. It was um, uh... Yeah, he's. I mean, I, I get where they're going with all this. We got to set up that these are some truly horrible people. That they're obviously other, you know, psycho killers, just like our our, our good friend Hannibal Lecter is. But also, yeah, he says some nasty shit to her, uh, which I don't particularly feel like repeating. And we we get past, you know, you know first the smiling, um, friendly killer. And I think that's a friendly inmate, I think, is what he's listed as in the credits, something <laughs> like that. And then we get the burning guy. And then we get Migs. It's just a fucking whack job. And we, we get this nice little transition to Hannibal's cell. And he's just standing there all, you know, all, you know, perfect and upright. And he just says, good morning. I also kind of love it just because (laughs) because we 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 go through all this terrible shit to get to this nice friendly welcome um so so I I have written down all of the times that I had to close my eyes oh no um because once again I am a big scaredy cat um and this was one of the times was the walking down the the hall and then the panda handle because it's so different and so nice that it it's once again so unnerving like oh i hate it but i love it and the filmmakers knew exactly what they were doing with this like oh mm-hmm. and he's just staring right at the camera ah no okay yeah no sorry <laughs> sorry and, one of my and, least favorite favorites <laughs> and then you very very quickly notice that you know it's just all plexiglass with a few air holes because you can't bear to have the danger of him reaching through the bars because you're donezo if that happens. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, he has to ask, what did Miggs say? You know, uh, just stop bringing up Miggs. We, we, we don't want to talk about Miggs. <laughs> but she admits what Miggs had, you know, pissed at her. And, um, you know, he's like, well, yeah, no, but 
you know, I can tell that uh, you use particular skin cream and you sometimes wear a particular perfume, but not today. And uh, yeah, you were, we're really establishing his amazing palette. Um, yeah. And it's just, there, there's so much in this film that will be, um, that I, I'm sure was in the book. I read the book a long time ago. Um, you know, probably somewhere between 25 and 30 years ago. But uh, there's so much that uh, probably came from Red Dragon, but also sets things up uh, for, you know, future properties like, uh, you know, the, the book and film Hannibal. Um, but, uh, you know, she points out his drawings and, you know, he gestures to the one, uh, you know, that's in Florence and he's like, uh, okay, that's all stuff that happens in Hannibal later on. Awesome. Um, all these little threads. We know yeah. this one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, what else here? Uh, there's a little bit of exposition about Buffalo Bill, who I refer to in my notes ever after as BB. Um, because <laughs> yeah, I just don't like having to type that over and over again. Um, uh, yeah. and, and this is the part that I was going to bring up because, uh, she, you know, does this little faux pas of bringing up the, the survey that she was sent there to have him fill out. Uh, and you know, he, he just sees that as, you know, her being a little rude and just, you know, getting right to it and everything. And this is where he starts to dress her down by slowly, you know, getting into this uh, West Virginian effect in his speaking because he's just slowly fucking with her until he's really, really fucking with her. And you can see that she's unsettled by it, but uh, it just slowly creeps up and it's so good. And then he keeps bringing it back throughout the rest of the film to, you know, just give her these little gut punches here and there. Um so, so that, when he does that in the beginning, because I read trivia, because I love the trivia, apparently that was improvised in the beginning, and that is Jodie Foster's, like, legit reaction. Like, she took so much offense to it. Like, that's just her legitimate horrified reaction to this. And it's like, oh, that's another level. Like, we're, we're, we're getting into it. This is, this is, oh boy, here we go. 15 yeah, minutes that's... in. <sighs> That's something that I've never really dug into quite so deeply. You know, just what the filming of this movie was like. I've never watched any making of or anything. Um, there, there's got to be some stuff out there. But I, I'm very curious to see what this set was like. Oh, um, my gosh, yeah. Mm, it just the, the kinds of characters that people had to put on and just, you know, having to be around that and then... Yeah, how that bled into their interactions with each other uh, when the cameras are off. I would love to know. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, he basically sends her packing at this point. And as she's leaving, uh, Migs gives her a parting gift, which is horrific. And, yeah, it's just, it's gross. It's so gross. I always forget about that part. And I'm just like, ah, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's graphic. Uh, but Lecter, um, seeing this discourtesy on display, um, calls her back and he gives her an errand of his own to, uh, you know, seek out, uh, yes, seek out Miss Moffat, uh, to look inside herself and seek out Miss Moffat. And it's 
it's fairly cryptic. It's like, I don't know what the fuck is happening here, but, uh, you know, screams for her to take off before Migs can do it again. Um, and she does. And this is where we get her first flashback to her childhood because, um, he did do a little bit of digging with her. Yeah. I, I kind of skipped over a lot of their dialogue and that's okay. You don't have to rehash absolutely everything, <laughs> but, um, yeah, she brings up that he was a town sheriff and uh, uh, ultimately, uh, or no, that may come up later, what happened to him. But yeah, she just has the little flashback of her meeting her dad when he comes home from work. And, you know, she's just losing her shit outside of her car because of the horrible experience and, you know, the dredging up of these memories. And I am pretty sure that we cut right to her on a firing range from this. Yeah. I think uh, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's perking herself back up, you know? Yeah. You know, she's got to uh, uh, let out some energy. <laughs> yeah. And she does. There's an awesome training montage. Yeah. Some of it she's doing really great. Other times, maybe not so much. She's got the little uh, practice of uh, breaching a room where she doesn't check the corner and, you know, she gets her head blown off for it. Um, yeah, uh, and then we move on to Microfro. Yeah, she's, um, you know, in the library uh, researching Dr. Lecter. Um, so um, Microfilm, I am unfortunately old enough to remember actually having to use this in a library before. Uh, before this film, did you even know what this was? I got to ask. I really do. So I knew of it. Okay. Um, I never <laughs> used it. Thank God, because it's horrible. Oh, it's yeah, so horrible. You can only get like the barest knowledge of what is in like a particular newspaper or a magazine or whatever it was that was put onto microfilm. And then you basically have to scan the whole thing like you're reading it to find what you're looking for. Oh, God. Um, it's a horrible way to do research. Um yeah, I, I'm sure it's slightly better than trying to dig through old newspapers, but, um, you know, because they probably degrade. But, um, yeah, yeah, not great. And it, it kind of shows the age of this film a little bit, too. But, uh, yeah, microfilm. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like a blast. It's, it's so not. It's <laughs> so not. I, I just seriously remember in high school needing to go, like, 30, 40 miles to a local university to do research for a paper and having to dig into uh, old microfilm of old newspapers and shit. It, it was just one of the worst experiences ever. And thank God, by the end of high school, there was like fledgling internet access. So, hooray. Yay, you live in a magical time, McKenna. <laughs> I can Oh, uh, yes. Um, so uh, it turns out Hannibal did something nice for Clarice. Uh, she gets a phone call um, from Jack Crawford that makes us dead. And basically Hannibal talked him into offing himself. He essentially swallowed his own tongue and died. Okay, thanks for the gift. I didn't exactly want that, um, but, you know. Uh, and she, in the same phone call, lets uh, Crawford know that, um, you know, this little clue that uh, he gave her, she thinks she has a good idea what it is. She's going to go check it out. 
Uh, and this is where we go to your self-storage. Um, you get this old Russian dude uh, who's got like a driver and a Rolls Royce and shit. Um, and it, it's uh, this storage uh, barn that was rented for 10 years in advance, uh, all paid in cash uh, for this uh, Miss Moffat. And, um, well, uh, they can't really get the door open. She grabs a jack, uh, just barely able to get it up enough that uh, she can squeeze through. Uh, I, I really appreciate the exchange about how, okay, this is the card to the Baltimore field office. They know that I'm with you as in, um, yeah. Um, please don't try anything, dude, but I know, I know you're probably not gonna, but also <laughs> just know that they know that you're here. So yeah. Um, Cause it's, it's a little creepy. Um, but she makes her way in and there's just tons of shit in this storage mm -hmm. barn, just everywhere. There is so much stuff. It's, I don't know if the, this is a lot of stuff from Lecter's old office or home or what, but, um, yeah, she finds an old car, uh, draped with a giant American flag and makes her way inside. And well, Hannibal, you and I both know. He's all about a good tableau. He's got to, you know, set that scene. He's got to dress up that kill. He's got to make that living painting, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, she finds a headless mannequin uh, and a great big bell jar with a severed head. Awesome. Yep, this, this is another part that I had to close my eyes for. <laughs> okay. I, I knew it was coming up because I, re I remember this vividly from the book. And I was like, I think this is the part with the head in the jar. But I couldn't remember it from the first time I watched the movie. So I was like half I was like half watching it like this, waiting for it. And then I was like, <laughs> and there's the jar and I'm going to close my eyes until the scene changes. It was, uh, yeah, very creepy. Very, they, they did that very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's and there's uh, definitely definitely some um, yeah just mm, yeah okay um, yeah it's a head in a jar um, so she goes back to the asylum and I think this has all happened in the span of a day at this point too I think so um, yeah. man can you imagine going through all those like training classes and everything after going to that asylum for the first time and uh, having that experience no absolutely not. Yeah, I, I'd need a good day off. Yeah. I'd have, I'd, I'd have like an existential crisis in the middle of that that would like completely knock me out for like, yeah, like, like a day. Like I, that good old. I'm gonna go sleep. Um. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, don't talk to me for a little bit. Like, I'm out, man. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it's pouring rain by the time she makes it to the asylum, and uh, Barney greets her at the door. Um, she heads downstairs and. It's all shadows in Hannibal's cell. And you get this TV on the cart like we used to have in grade school. And um, it's it's got some kind of preacher program on it, but the sound's off. And uh, Clarice is you know basically talking at Hannibal, and she can't really see him. She's looking around, and all of a sudden the food tray comes slamming out. It's big and loud and booming, but it's kindness in the form of a towel. It's 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 a very decent thing that he does for her here because mm -hmm. her hair is so everything. Um, so this is where he brings up the story of Benjamin Raspail, uh, the head 
uh, that she found. Uh, who was a patient of Dr. Lecter's. And, um, you know, she, you know, kind of assumes, okay, well, you know, he had makeup on him and there was the mannequin with the dress was, you know, transvestite, she says. And he's like, no, no, garden variety, manic depressive. You know, he's, you know, kind of a tedious patient. Um, But, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, this is where they start bringing up offers. Uh, not quite the quid pro quo that's to come, but, um, you know, he, he basically would like to, um, you know, get out of there. He knows that he's going to be tortured by Dr. Chilton after she going to crank the sound on the, um, the, uh, the church stuff and, um, just to torment him. And Yeah. Not great. Um, I, I forget what else exactly happens in this conversation. I don't know if they, they bring up um, uh, Raspel's um, significant other at the time or if that comes later. Um, but um, they all they, run together. All of the visits at some point. Yeah. Just, they all run like, like three or four. It's... Yeah. Yeah, they they spend remarkably little time together in this film for something that we remember so strongly from it. But um but uh yeah. Um so basically he won't tell her much more and he's like all good things to those who wait and you know, but you know, better hurry because he's probably out there searching for his next special girl and we cut to Tom Petty. And yeah, yeah, we, we you get this intro intro to Catherine Martin um, and Ted Levine uh, as Buffalo Bill. Uh, and yep, yep, yep. I, I, I knew it. I knew it because if I'm not mistaken, you're a massive monk fan. Um, I, I wrote Stottle Meyer with three exclamation points next to it. Because when I, when I watched this, I watched Science of the Lambs, and then I watched a monk a few years later, or again, a few years later, a few months later, for the first time. And I was like, hmm, Stoudemire looks familiar. I wonder what else he's been in that I've seen. And Sounds a little familiar, Lambs. too, yeah? <laughs> yeah, just a, he, a very distinct voice. I forgot how deep his voice was until this movie. Um, and I was like, oh, oh yeah, no, oh, that's right. He's in Science of the Lambs. And, like, my brain refused to make the connection because I loved Stoudemire so much in Monk and then it's like oh but he's he's the serial killer in Science of the Lambs (laughs) why so this was like the first time since seeing Monk that I watched obviously the full movie but like this he's with Ted Levine. I was like, oh, he's so good in this though he doesn't have a super big role but uh, he's also really good in Heat He's uh, one of the cops on uh, Pacino's team. I will check that out. Then. <laughs> it's, it's like a three-hour heist movie, but it's I'm so good. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yes. First on-screen pairing of uh, Pacino and De Niro. It's oh, worth it she, just yeah. for that scene. <gasps> oh, my God. I was already sold. Now I'm like, <laughs> I, let me watch this later tonight. <laughs> It, it's really good. I, I, I'd be oh interested to hear what you have to say about it when you're all done. Um, so yes, Ted Levine with his night vision glasses, uh, Billy, uh, Buffalo Bill, BB. Uh, and he's, you know, just waiting and watching. He's probably been, you know, staking this, uh, this girl out 
for quite some time. So he knows what time she comes home, all that fun stuff. He's got, he's got his MO down for sure. Um, and this abduction scene, I mean, girl, just keep on walking. Come on. It's, you, you, it's dark. You're alone. And you see this dude struggling with a couch to get it into a panel van. I, yeah and, and i also understand that you know we're not 20 something in 1990 mm-hmm. um this is 30 years later informed by so much of what has happened in the world and so much media and our obsession with serial killer films and other properties <laughs> So I I think we're all just a little bit more risk averse as far as this stuff is concerned. But yeah, um, she's just too nice for her own good. Um, So yeah, he convinces her to help him pick up the couch because he's got a fake cast on his arm. And uh, he, he gets her to carry it first into the vehicle because he says he wants to push it all the way forward and then climbs in. And beats the crap out of her, discovers, yes, she's exactly what he's been looking for. Of course she is. Um, course she is. Yeah. And he fucks off. Um, so the with cat the, cat, the, the cat, the poor cat. I love how they cut back to the cat watching everything. You know, we, we had a witness, right? It was the cat. It's always uh, the cat. <laughs> Yup. Okay. Yeah. I I I I, I, I figure the cat probably is okay. They they can do pretty well on their own for quite some time, but uh that is true. um but uh we cut to more training and it, I love how everybody always interrupts a good training montage with Clarice uh and everybody always has to stare at her whenever this happens. Um and we even get some more like POV stuff here again. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like saddle up. You're going to West Virginia. Um, oh, yay. It's my <laughs> yeah. best time to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Woo-hoo, the best baby. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, West Virginia. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No, you, you probably get shit on enough. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Crawford and Starling as they're in the car, uh, going to check out this nude body that is very likely a Buffalo Bill victim. Um, they, um, you know, kind of ponder, um, ponder, uh, the killer's profile and, uh, Starling kind of questions Jack's methods as far as sending her into the asylum without knowing what was going on. She, she's a little miffed by it, but, you know, he tells her, if I had told you, he would have seen right through you and we wouldn't have even gotten this far with things. Um, so she, she kind of lets that go for now. But um, they arrive at the funeral home and uh, Jack takes the sheriff aside and, you know, basically insinuates, hey, let's go talk over here because a woman and... Sex crime stuff and oh, we can't do that. Um, 
And you're left with all these cops just staring at her. And this is where we go on to flashback number two, uh, where she's remembering the, the funeral home, you know, with the death of her father. And honestly, I'm glad we don't get a third flashback. Um, yeah, me too. Me too. It, I don't know that they really necessarily add too much to this film. Uh, no. It's one of the few critiques I guess I have. Um, I don't know. Um, I, I, I think she basically spells things out pretty damn well as far that's as what, what happened. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I was thinking as well. Like, once, like, the quid pro quo comes in or whatever, like, the flashbacks don't give anything. Like, it's fine. I, I would be able to follow the movie without them, but, you know, yeah. I get emotions. <laughs> I don't know. Hey. Yeah. Oh. Um, but uh, she's broken out of this reverie um, when, um, you know, the, they, they come and get her and you know, they go and uh, just take a look at the body and all the fucking cops in the whole goddamn county are there still. Um, and Clarice basically shoes them out so that they can get to work. Uh, and, and I like that. Um, <laughs> yes, that, was that works. Um, she, she gets her moment there for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they, they, they pass around the shit that you smear under your nose so you can tolerate the, the, the stench. And I can never remember what that's called. Um, I don't know if it's camphor or something like that. that I, sounds right. Yeah. I, I've watched plenty of CSI and, you know, shit like that. <laughs> I should probably know, but um, regardless, um, she does this little pause after they open up the body bag, you know, and it's almost like she has to will herself to turn around and look at all of this. Uh, meanwhile, everybody else seems to be pretty cool with it, but um, yeah, it's 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 gross. It's a body that's been in the water for quite some time, and um, yeah. Um, they start taking photos and she starts basically doing the, um, the rundown of what they're observing, um, into one of those cool little voice activated tape recorder type deals. Um, and as they're taking the photos, she notices, oh, there's, there's something in her mouth. And, you know, the organist from the funeral home is like, oh, you know, sometimes there's like leaves and shit that you know, when a body's been in the water, but, oh no, they find something else. And, uh, you know, Crawford thinks maybe a seed pod and, uh, nope. The organist is like, nope, that's a bug cocoon. And, um, you know, they start, uh, looking at the spots where her skin's been removed because if we haven't mentioned this particular serial killer keeps, uh, trophies in the form of skins from his, which is, you know, kind of gross. But like they say about turkey, skin's the best part. Um, <laughs> it's disgusting. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, Starling uh, kind of bags up the evidence there, and they, um, well, they take off. Um, and apparently Alexa would like to chime in about that. Um <laughs> Very, very opinionated. Oh, yes, yes. Keep your opinions to yourself over there. Um, (laughs) But, uh, yes, uh, they leave uh, and in the car ride back to the plane, 
Um, Starling gives Crawford some shit about, uh, you know, uh, what happened with the sheriff. Um, and rightfully so. And, you know, he kind of admits, okay, I could probably have handled that a little differently, which I think was pretty big of him. But um, especially, especially for somebody who's probably like fairly high up and, you know, she's just a trainee who's, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, there is a major power dynamic here that, you know, yeah. Um, so they get back to town and we get what I think is pretty clearly the inspiration for the lone gunman on the X-Files. I don't know if you get that reference, but um, uh, you get these. Nope. <laughs> okay. Guess not. Um <laughs> <laughs> but you get these uh, two nerdy guys at uh, this museum that uh, are playing with their bugs. And um, on the X-Files, you had these three conspiracy theorists who would sometimes help out Mulder and Scully. And um, they just they seem like kind of carbon copies of these characters um, in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, uh, Dr. Pilcher, he makes this kind of dorky, adorable pass at Starling, which she seems like totally all about. And it's the cutest <laughs> damn thing ever. I, I really like that. Yeah. I'll have more to say about that at the end because it's not in the movie, but it's at the end of the book. <laughs> oh, God, I don't even remember. Um, <laughs> it's It's been so long. I can't wait to hear. Um <laughs> So the other dude, who's not even a real PhD, um, he uh, opens up the cocoon and we are introduced to the Death's Head Moth, which is just the coolest game name. Ever. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like I most people. Yeah, like, sure. Absolutely. Because it's like the most metal name that you could ever give a moth. Right. <laughs> Not exactly, you know, a creature that strikes fear and terror into people. It's a moth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why you need the name. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> um, and we we cut from here to uh, BB's lair. Um, oh, yeah, where he's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it works. Um. Um, and he's got the moths, you know, fluttering around here because, you know, he likes to raise them in, in addition to his other hobbies, I guess. Um, it, there's a couple of aquariums and I, I've tried looking multiple times, but I can't really tell what's in them. Um, no idea. I don't know. No idea whatsoever. They don't seem particularly clean. Um, don't know. Um, but uh yeah uh we we get this kind of um introduction of his lair and the dry well with uh Catherine down at the bottom um and then i don't think this is is this the no the lotion part comes later so never mind um <laughs> we're we're back in baltimore at uh the uh the asylum and this is where uh clarice is offering um the transfer to a different facility where he'll actually have a window and uh one week a year he gets to go to uh anthrax island um she's really selling it too and uh she got the yeah. map and everything 
Oh yeah. 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 You'll, you'll get to swim in the ocean under SWAT team surveillance. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, she's, um, she's got her offer. Well, you know, here's where we need to do a little quid pro quo here. Uh, you tell me things and I tell you things. And that's how our, our relationship's going to go from here. So this is where we get the full blown story of her father's death. How uh, he was the town marshal and he surprised some people robbing a drugstore and they gunned him down. How he survived for days afterwards and finally died. She was then an orphan because her mom had died when she was young. She went to go live with um, some fairly distant relatives on a, a ranch in, um, yeah, I think it was Montana. Um, ultimately, he kind of needles her a little bit. Uh, you know, oh, did the rancher do you know horrible things to you? Uh, is that why you're messed up? And you know, she's like, no, no, they were they were very very decent people. And things kind of get cut short there. Um, you can tell that he's growing fairly fond of her. Actually, mm-hmm. um, I th- I think she's gaining some amount of respect if she didn't already have it of him. Uh, as much as she's trying to put one over on him here with uh, this little offer, trying to get more information. But, um, yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you think of this interaction? Okay. Hmm. So I think, well, she had, she had to shoot her shot. She had to do something because they were so close, yet they were still missing that puzzle piece to get them to buffalo bill so i i i can respect her being like here's this fake offer but it's quote unquote fake but actually fake um and like i i am shocked that hannibal doesn't call her out right away for it being a bullshit offer because i feel like that is something that he would be able to sniff out immediately um but you know what good she shot her shot she got some information yep um yep and we start talking about the moth you know why oh yes and you know there's well it signifies transition or change um and here's i think where people you know find the film not exactly aging well necessarily because it kind of plays on the fear of trans folk that people drum up um yeah, I, I, I mean, it's kind of made abundantly clear that, uh, you know, that's not exactly what's happening here. He's not, you know, trying to actually transition in that way. And yet it, it can be, you know, yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, that could be better. Um, I think there's, I, I would love to see what the Hannibal series would have been had they had the rights to silence of the lambs, because I think they could have handled this type of thing in a much more 2010s, if not, you know, now type of way. Um, so allegedly, allegedly, oh, as oh. of 2019, uh, Maz Mickelson said in an interview that the 
guy, I, his name is escaping me, who adapted it for a television series, was trying to get the rights to Silence of the Lambs to continue the Hannibal series. If Brian Fuller. Funded. Yes, him. Um, I don't, I can't, I don't, I can't remember if he said for sure if he got the rights to Silence of the Lambs or not, but he was at least working on it. So if it were to continue, we would be uh, going into that. So well, the and then there was that CBS show uh, about Clary's Starling. So that, that was. Yeah, um, I don't think a lot of people really watched it because I don't think it's on anymore. <laughs> so I oh think that God. basically killed that eventuality. Damn it! Uh, oh I know. <laughs> Come on. Now that you say that, though, I think I, I vaguely remember like trailers for the airing before I started reading. Oh wow, wow! That just unlocked a memory of like a summer. <gasps> oh wow! That's like maybe a year and a half, two years ago yeah something like that yeah i i remember because it was yeah it was cbs which is what jeopardy airs on back home and i remember seeing those commercials during the commercial breaks oh and it felt like such a cbs show it (laughs) not in a good way um i i think had i given it a shot maybe it was actually decent i don't know i just had such a bitter taste in my mouth after the way hannibal was handled Right. Um, you know, by NBC, by Universal. Um, I I still think we got an amazing three years of television there. Oh, hundred percent. But yeah, just sad. I I was pretty heartbroken at the end of that too. But, uh, oh wow! Wow, yeah. I just um, now I'm looking at the Wikipedia. It puts the lotion in the basket. <laughs> Okay, so we are finally at this scene, this iconic scene um, where he does everything. Buffalo Bill does absolutely everything that he can to dehumanize Catherine, Uh, you know, speaking to her in the third person, um, you know, calling her it, um, basically doing everything he can distance everything he can to distance himself from her as an actual human because he's going to do unspeakable shit to her. Um, when she's not exactly complying, when she's just continuing to beg, he loses his cool. And you can absolutely tell when he breaks, not only because he starts screaming at her, but also because he's addressing her directly. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty intense. And then as the light on the bucket goes up and she finds those missing fingernails from Miss West Virginia, um, which is pretty horrific. She starts screaming like crazy and he just reciprocates by mocking the scream and and just, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. Mm, Ted Levine too good. (laughs) Yep. Yep, it might make some people worry just a little bit about him. I don't know. Yeah, just a bit. Well, yeah, apparently, like, after this, he he found it a little difficult to find work just because everyone associated yeah. with him with this. And it's like, well, you were good. <laughs> you were certainly very good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's certainly happened to a good number of actors. You get typecast in, you know, such iconic roles or have, you know, things happen on a set that, you know, affect you in such a profound way that, yeah, you, you're kind of off the grid for a little bit. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, he's always been more of a character actor as it is. He's not exactly been, you know, a real lead or anything. So, I mean, it's good to know that only a few years later he's, you know, getting work. So, that's cool. That's cool. Um, so, yes, the lotion is indeed placed in the basket. Um, and we move on to Chilton confronting Hannibal uh, about the offer. How, you know, he actually got in touch with uh, Catherine's mother, the senator from Tennessee. Uh, found out that it is indeed bullshit, but he's made his own offer with her and how he's going to fucking come through or else. Um, meanwhile, Hannibal, you know, just he does not give two shits because he sees his out. Mm-hmm. The pen. The pen. I don't know how he ever gets to it. Uh, it's. I, I even wrote I, I wrote Chilton is a freaking idiot. Like yep. he for the one thing, and I I won't talk about it right now because my my favorite sequence of events will happen in a bit, and it started with the pen. It's the freaking mm-hmm. pen. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, um, and it's it's like Hannibal only has eyes for these for this pen. Uh, it's great. Uh, we cut right to Jack and Starling uh, having been found out uh, in this phone call from an FBI director uh, who is played by Roger Corman, the famous B-movie director uh, from basically the 1950s onward. He, he did just prolific director of B-films. Um, and, and we get other B-movie directors in here uh, before too long. <laughs> Um, I, I can't wait to bring it up because it's one of my favorites. But um, so, yes, uh, Jack is uh, Jack Crawford is filled in about, you know, what happened, how the senators pissed. Uh, you know, he tells this director, yeah, I rolled the dice, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I love how chill he is about getting called on the carpet here. But that, that seems to be kind of Jack's personality in general. That's OK. Um and we moved to Tennessee, where Lecter's been transported to this airplane hangar. You've got all these armed guards everywhere, and they bring the senator in. In the meantime, uh, Chilton is doing one of these numbers, trying to find his pen. Ah, shucks. Where could it be? Yep. And he's definitely one of these guys that doesn't like to touch other people's pens. Because his reaction when uh, the the one uh, officer hands him his own to sign off on the paperwork for the transfer, um, he he doesn't like that. Um, but uh, yes, uh, Leonard Lecter uh, he fucks with everybody, um, and still you know somewhat assists, um, you know basically just totally unnerving uh the senator um and she's like take this thing back to baltimore and i love how she calls him this thing mm-hmm. um her reaction's great um i can't think who the actress is but uh it, it's it's a good performance for such a minor little part um but he starts blurting out all the info about um who he thinks buffalo is um and uh yeah and she turns back around and uh you know 
basically, um, one more thing, Senator. Love your suit. Oh, I rewatched that multiple times because I love the <laughs> facial react. Oh, how he. Oh, I love. So good. It's so good. Oh. Yeah. That one. Yes, that's the last word. Yep, yes. Uh, he, he gives uh, Bill's name as uh, Lewis Friend. Um, yeah. Yeah, how uh, ultimately he was a significant other of his patient, Benjamin Raspail. How Benjamin was unnerved by him because apparently uh, Lewis had murdered someone and done things with the skin, he says. Um, yeah, that's creepy. It's just, I'm glad you didn't go into detail there, but we get it. Um, Pick up what you're putting down. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we cut to, I, I don't know what kind of building this is. Um, I, I, if it is an actual building in Memphis, um, but it's where Lecter is being held. And it's the most elaborate cage it, I guess, you know, there there were no, you know, facilities uh to actually keep him. It's it's almost like something in a museum. I don't know. But uh we get Clarice uh basically ducking Chilton and uh Krembler from the Justice Department, uh a character that um I, I oh god, it's uh he just passed away recently. Um shit from Goodfellas. Um oh. Ray Liotta plays him yeah. in Hannibal. Yeah. yeah. Um but she's kind of ducking by these guys uh to sneak her way in to visit Lecter one last time here. Uh and we get the absolutely iconic good evening, Clarice. Mm. Yes. So she there's so a couple things in this scene that are just so iconic. Yeah. That was that was Yep, yep. Uh, she brings him his drawings as a peace offering. He's mad as hell about the um, the fake offer, um, but uh, he's also fairly impressed that she did it. Mm-hmm. You get that in that West Virginia draw. Uh, that was good. <laughs> I love it. Um. And the line about, uh, you know, people will say we're in love uh, just because she keeps coming to see him over and over again. Um, And he's also a little bit more antagonistic in this uh, conversation. Um, I think he's salty from being fucked with, you know, uh, but. Yeah, yeah, he he pushes her buttons just as much as he possibly can. and Clarice is desperate. She feels like they're absolutely running out of time with Catherine. Um, like she, she was already working through uh, the anagram of Lewis friend uh, that it was an anagram for iron sulfide, uh, which of course is fool's gold uh, in that this is not the name of this person. You're, you're just, what are you pulling here? We, we got to do what we can to find this girl. And, um, yeah, yeah, he still just won't give up the name. Um, 
instead he you know kind of presses her um I, I don't know that i've ever been in a class that actually does the socratic method but it feels like that where he's just you know forcing her to you know find her way through um to ultimately the answer here uh and they come to the realization that you know what this person does is he covets that is his primary you know drive this is what he does it's not that he kills people no that's incidental um and in helping her to this realization he demands that she finishes her story about her father and what happened on the ranch in montana um and we get this horrible story about her waking up in the night to hearing you know screaming uh screaming you know some kind of screaming like a child's voice she says and you know they're slaughtering the spring lambs and she can't take it and she tries to free them and they just stand there just staring back at her she grabs one and runs off she doesn't make it very far though because she's like 10 years old trying to carry this lamb the local sheriff picks her up and that's it with her cousins. She's sent off to an orphanage. Hmm. It's kind of awful. Um, and you know, he just throws back right at her. So you figure if you are able to save Catherine, that you'll be able to, you know, stop the recurring nightmare. And this thing that's hung over you all your life of these screaming lambs. and they're cut off at this moment but before we get there any thoughts on this story and their interaction so far uh i, I feel like there's something there mechanic come on there, I, it's it's i mean this is the 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 title of the of the whole of the movie of the of the book yeah. like this is this is uh we got our we got our origin story um i although i will say i do love when um movies say the title of the of the movie uh, of, of the movie because i feel like that one like leonardo dicaprio meme when he's like playing at the tv when it happens but like they talk about the screaming of the lambs but you know not the silence of them um but you know no i I, I I love like like you get this backstory in Clarice like which like like we knew a good chunk but now it's like oh we knew her upbringing and like yeah you know of what 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 went down um and and why you know her childhood was so pertinent and whatnot and then like I mean this is the last time that well spoilers that Clarice and Hannibal are face to face um. For a so while, at like, least. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. For a yeah. while. For, a bit, for, a <laughs> for the film, for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, for, for the film. So it's also just like that, <clears throat> that final thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, um, yeah, it, uh, basically her sanity hinges on being able to solve this crime. Yeah, 100%, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, yes, they are interrupted. We get the lovely Dr. Chilton, I presume. And he's like, okay. It's time to go. Let's go. Okay, so the dude walking behind Chilton with the beard and the walkie-talkie. Yeah. That is George Romero, oh. the director of Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the okay. Dead, Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead, The Crazies. Um, yeah, prolific horror director George Romero. Wow. 
Yeah, we get two old, old directors in this at least. Um, there may be more. I don't know. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, I, I, cameos are cool. Um, so, uh, yes, they drag her out and he's like, Clarice, the case file. She breaks free and runs back to grab it. And we get the finger flash. One of the best shots in this fucking movie. It's so skin crawling unsettling that this is the only physical contact between these two in the entire film. They've always been separated by bars or plexiglass or whatever. And it's just this little bye-bye. It's like, it feels like everything's in slow motion in that very moment. Like, all the action, like, you don't hear anything. Oh, there's no action. It's just the finger touches. Mm-hmm. So good. So good. It's. <laughs> yes. Um, it, it's it's a, a gift that I will use on the internet over and over <laughs> and over again in relation As to this movie. Yes. Because. <laughs> It's so wonderful. And yeah, it does make the skin crawl. Um, So yeah, uh, Clarice is thrown on a plane and she gets back to, um, you know, she gets back to school. And as she's walking through this airport, she looks so dejected and just like her world has just come crashing down and but then she remembers okay everything that i need to solve this case is in the file that's what Lecter told me it's all there um but then we cut back to tennessee yes we do where Lecter has requested a second dinner of lamb chops extra rare And you get the cops, you know, kind of joking about it. And uh, they're they're polite enough to him, but they're also you know just kind of dicks, too. Um, but, uh, you know, they they ask him if he's ready and he, he's behind this, you know, little uh, modesty veil thing. I'm sure there's like a little port john or something there for him. Uh, but he's he's basically a. I'm sure this part of the pen he had concealed like in his mouth or something like that. And he's just kind of working it out and he palms that and he's told to go sit on the ground with, uh, you know, his hands out behind the bars so that they can cuff him and they do. And, um, he immediately starts working on the the handcuffs. They 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 don't even leave it to your imagination that that's what he's doing. Um, so the cops come in. They go to sit down the food tray. He tells them, you know, stalling a little bit to mind the drawings on the table. Uh, so he sets the food tray down right next to Lecter. Gets up, kind of rolls up the drawings, moves them aside. 
goes to go back down to pick up the tray. Meanwhile, the other dipshit is standing at the door, not really paying attention. You know, you see him just kind of fumbling around with the keys a little bit. And as Boyle, uh, Sergeant Boyle leans down to pick up the tray, the hand reaches out with the cuff and snaps it around his wrist. And he's like the look on his face of, Oh, fuck. Uh, and Lecter just you know, this maniacal look on his face as he snaps the other end of the cuff around the bar and, uh, you know, look out, Pember, he's loose and all this shit. And uh, kiss, kiss. Um, he's just tearing into the guy's face. And I, I guess uh, what they did is they had like this big bit of rubber that they both got to bite down on um, oh, okay. so that you'd get like the you know, the in sync um, interactions of the heads jostling as he's, you know, chewing away. That totally works. It looks. Oh, oh yeah. Um, and then he maces the shit out of this guy um, and then beats the crap out of Boyle with his own nightstick uh, and just just the savagery on his face uh, as he's doing this and just the smile gets wider and wider and wider. Uh, and of course the music swells and everything. Holy crap. We, we are finally seeing who Lecter is. We are seeing him in his, you know, true, true form here. Um, and then you know, you cut back to the chamber music playing on the tape deck and Lecter just, yes, doing this little conducting as, you know, he's enjoying the moment. And then he hears Pembry crawling uh, behind him and we get the repeat of uh, the line from earlier, ready when you are, Sergeant Pembry, uh, as he goes to do his thing. And yeah. Um, yeah, um, <laughs> so, um, like you said, you saw this for like the first time within the past year or so, um, your initial reaction to all of this. <laughs> this was so terrifyingly genius. Um, <laughs> like obviously you, 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 you get, you get this kind of thing, you know, obviously he's a psychiatrist, he's smart, he knows people, da, 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 da. But the, like you said, like this is the first time we physically get to see just how much of a genius he is in terms of this, you know, world of murder, I suppose, and like what he would do to escape and how he would execute it. And it's just like, and, and like, like this scene and then the next few scenes are probably some of my favorite in the whole movie because I... As, as gory, as visual as it is, shit, it's just so well executed. Like, mm -hmm. it's such a good fake everything. out. Yes. It's, it's a wonderful fake out. It's, and this is like the thing about this character in, you know, the books and all the different properties. It's the kind of shit that would never play out in real life. Right. You, there is no way to have it so perfectly planned out to be able to construct the tableaus that he does to 
you know, just all the consequence of you know, events that have to, you know, line up to make all this happen. It's just not possible. But because he is who he is, you are able to suspend that disbelief. It's you're like, yep, yep. I can see how that could happen. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we 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 cut to downstairs and they notice that the elevator is going up and they're like, what is this shit? And Sergeant Tate has a mustache. Did you notice how wide this mustache is? No, but now I need to go back and find it, I feel. It's oh. like, wow. It's it's very, like, thin, and it it's wow. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, they notice the elevator going up, and oh then they goodness. see it starting to come back down, but then stopping, and they're like, oh. Get me a SWAT team with Chris Isaac stat, because uh, he's in this movie too. Um, but uh, but yeah, they they get the SWAT team showing up and they all um, you know start going up the stairs and uh, everything. Um, well, no, first uh, before the SWAT team even gets there, um, the cops all go up to the fifth floor and they burst into the room. And okay, Boyle is strung up with this amazing lighting behind him, and you've got all the shit everywhere, and his intestines are out. And um, yeah, you know, like you do. Um, and wow, um, Pembry um is alive but wounded. Um, and just unresponsive. Um, and so, well, they hurry up and they get him on a stretcher and they get in the elevator and they start going down and they start noticing blood dripping on um, onto Pembry from above. And they look up and they see the hatch in the top of the elevator. It's got that little blood kind of pooling at the corner and they realize, oh, crap, Lecter's on top of the elevator. So, you know, they try to be subtle about it with the, the walkie and everything. Um so they stop, they get out, the SWAT team's arrived at this point, um, and they're like, okay, he's on top of the elevator. So they run up there, they pry open the doors, they do the little mirror thing to look over the edge and everything. They see him down. <laughs> um, okay, well, give him one warning. They call out to him, nothing. I'm like, shoot him in the leg. I, I don't know that he's necessarily going anywhere. You got him trapped from both sides. Right. But Just in case. I, I get it. He's very, very dangerous, right? And they also see there's a gun near his hand. So, and I, I understand. Um, but um, they do shoot him. Again, nothing happens. So they bring in a, a very rickety-looking stepladder. Uh, into the elevator and they go to open up the hatch and the body flops down and it's all realized that, uh Oh, that's not Lecter. <laughs> and you cut to the ambulance screaming down the road and they're radioing in the, you know, what's going on with the patient. And you see um, Hannibal rise up 
pull off Pembry's face that he has cut from the poor dude's skull and attack the dude in the back of the ambulance. And you cut to Ardelia running from the phone uh, after being relayed the news. I love how this takes place so long ago that they wouldn't have had phones in their individual <laughs> dorm rooms. Right. Yeah. I don't know what that's all about, but that's some <laughs> bullshit right there. Um, this communal phone that they have to use. Um, I, I, I get that was definitely a thing, but come on. It's like 1990, right? But, but yeah, she's just charging down that hallway. Holy crap. She can run. Um, but yes, uh, we, we cut to her and Clarice, um, you know, talking about it, uh, about how they found the ambulance abandoned. Both the, um, EMTs were dead. Uh, how Hannibal killed a tourist and took his clothes and everything. And he could be anywhere. Because, of course, this is pre-9-11 air travel. Um, honestly, I was able to walk into an airport the summer before 9-11, go through security, and go to a gate wearing a Leatherman on my belt. Really? Wow. So, yeah, um, air travel was very different. And, yeah, he probably could escape as easily as he did. Um, wow. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we cut to them, you know, discussing how, oh, he's not coming after me. I I don't know how to say it. He would just find that rude Um, because, yeah, he he probably would, actually. Um, And then they decide, okay, let's just let's go over the file or or even before that uh, we cut to Bill. He's just working on that woman suit which we don't know is a woman's suit quite yet. But um, yeah, he, he's doing some work and it's clear that it's with skin. Uh, it's just gross. But uh, yes, then back to Clarice and Ardelia, they're going over the case file. They determined that, yeah, um, Bill, what does he do? He covets. Okay, what do you covet? You know, probably somebody that he knew, right? Um so let's kind of work backwards from there. Um, and yeah, basically let's go to Ohio. Sure. Uh, cause that's where the first victim was from Frederica Bimbo. Um, and it's very apparent that Frederica had secrets because, um, Oh God. And this, God, this feels like twin peaks now. Uh, because this all came, kind of came out around the same time, too. Um, but uh, she goes to visit uh, Frederica's father, who's been through the ringer, clearly. He is a broken shell of a man. Um, and she goes and pokes around the bedroom, finds the little music box, jewelry box thing. And knowing that most young people are going to stash something inside that thing, kind of pokes around with it and finds some photos of Frederica in various states of undress, clearly taken by somebody that she was uh, hanging out with there. Um, And then she's startled by the cat again. It's always the cat. It's always the cat. Always comes back to the cat. Yes. It's a different cat, but it's a cat. It's it's Um, a cat. 
and she sees the same diamond shaped patterns on the back of an unfinished dress that uh as the victim from west virginia and boy she's on the phone with jack super quick there just just um sputtering about you know all all the you know things that she's uncovered here and about how he's making a woman suit that's what it is and he can sew and he's really good at it and um jack's like no wait wait we already know who he is we're we're, we're going to get him right now he's just outside of chicago uh we were you know double check some things with uh, a few hospitals and we we absolutely know where he is um and we we get that his name is uh uh was it uh jamie gum or jame gum uh john gordon or one of these or another uh he's got a few aliases right and so they matched up uh some patient records along with um shipping manifest from caterpillars uh for this moth um and so they know and they're uh, going uh, and she's like, well, I, I could be in Chicago in just a few hours. And she's like, no, no, we, we need more evidence and everything. You need to keep poking around in Ohio. Okay. I, I don't know that that's really super necessary, but it helps to set up what's about to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, oh God. Yes. Uh, but yeah, he's going to be on the ground in 45 minutes with a uh, hostage rescue team and everything. Um, in the meantime, Catherine is uh, about to take a little hostage of her own. This makes me so happy because she refers to Precious as a little shit. And he, here, <laughs> you know, the dog is a little shit. Let's be fair. It's one of those poofy little lap dogs like a Bichon or something like that. Um, I, I honestly don't remember what the breed is, but it's it's so perfect that you have Buffalo Bill with his little precious. It's <laughs> like the dog does not fit Buffalo Bill at all, which makes it even better. Like this tiny mm-hmm. little cute little dog and then oh, yeah. head lifting the ball. Yeah, well, it's like the part from before. Uh, it puts the lotion in the yes. basket or else it gets the hose again. And then the dog barks and he's like, it will, it will get the hose again. <laughs> Oh, yes, it will, Precious. God. Um. So yeah, yeah. Um. This is kind of like her trying to set up the dog to pull it into the well. Uh, is sort of intercut with Bill. Um. You know, kind of getting himself done up. Clearly wearing a wig that's actually the scalp of one of his victims. <sighs> Because you see the jagged flesh. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And uh, we get uh, goodbye horses in a tuck dance. Um, Which is, yeah, yeah, that's sure. That is what it is. You know, he's sort of envisioning what he's trying to do, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it's, he's not exactly going woman but he's going to make himself a woman i guess i i I don't know um sure dude um (laughs) but then we cut back to the fbi landing and they like have that like simpsons-esque flowers by irene truck you know fbi um (laughs) 
and, and they're all getting ready to go. And we cut to Clarice interviewing one of Frederica's friends. Um, and she doesn't know of any, you know, Jamie gum or anybody like that. Um, you know, if she, if there was a guy, she would have known it. I don't know about that because there are some photos that say otherwise. Um, just saying. Um, but how they used to do alterations, you know, because they were both into, you know, sewing and everything, uh, how they used to do alterations for this Mrs. Lippman, right? Well, Clarice gets the address out of her and she decides, okay, well, I've got another lead to run down. Let's go do this. Um, and here's where we start getting the two planes of action fake out. I love this so much. This is probably my second favorite like execution of scenes because it just it's so perfect just the sound design like the sounds all would match up and actions all mm, sorry mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. it. oh so well. it works it works so um so we got the feds gathering outside the house near chicago preparing for a breach uh while uh buffalo bill is playing with his moths and um he gets a nasty little surprise because Catherine has snagged Precious. Down here, you sack of shit, she says. I love it. I love that line delivery. And she threatens to kill the dog if he doesn't lower a phone. Uh, Bill loses his shit at this point. And this is, you know, where he's kind of tearing through the basement. Uh, he goes and he finds his uh, revolver there. Uh, he's like, losing his mind. What am I going to do? Um, because I, I, I think he very clearly does not want his dog to be killed. But um, also just the fact that this thing, this object has put one over on him. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so insulting to him. Um, yeah. Also, what's up with all the Nazi and white supremacist paraphernalia all throughout this basement? Oh. You know, why not another hobby and interest? Yes. I mean, what I, I, I've always wanted to know. Was this his stuff? Or was it Mrs. Lipman's? Oh, shit. I didn't think about that. <gasps> I would be so. And, and I have other questions about her later. But yeah, because some of the stuff looks like, you know, maybe from around World War II when you had like you know, Nazi sympathizers in the U S wanting us to stay out of the war. And, you know, it just, Oh, it's so creepy. Uh, but yeah, like you said, you know, it's good for him to have lots of hobbies, you know, diverse <laughs> hobbies. Yeah, of course. It keeps him busy you oh, know, Jesus. out of trouble. Sure. Sure. <laughs> we'll call. Oh, but yes, in the middle of him racing around, trying to figure things out, the fucking doorbell rings. And yeah, we, we get the cop system goes off. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got to have something good and loud to let him know something's happening because it's the basement. And it's kind of soundproofed and everything. <laughs> oh, um, I forgot about that. Part. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I do like that. Um, you know, we get the cop or the FBI agent or whatever with the flower box, pressing the doorbell and cutting back to the doorbell ringing <laughs> in Bill's lair. And um, 
you know, they kind of cut back and forth with this and, um, uh, we get, uh, BB walking upstairs and it's like, okay, I'm coming as he's like trying to tuck his shirt into his pants and stuff. Cause you know, he was busy in his robe earlier. Um, but he opens the door and it's Clarice. And yes, surprise. Um, and uh, the FBI ends up raiding this empty house. And there's nobody here, Jack. And uh, Jack Crawford, his Clarice, uh, realizing that likely she's walking into something that she may not be prepared for. Um, and we cut back to um, Belvedere, Ohio, where... Um, she asks the man his name, and it's Jack Gordon, a continuation of the JG uh, string of aliases, which makes sense, right? That's um, that's how you try to keep that shit straight, I guess. Um, and you know, we we get the you know famous line of uh, you know, when asking about Frederica Bimmel um, and him trying to play it off like he doesn't know her, and like, oh, wait, is she a great big fat person? Subtle man. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, he, he invites her in uh, because, yeah, he, uh, you know, Lippmans don't live there anymore, but maybe he has like a business card or something for Mrs. Lippmans' son or whatever. And I think at this point that um, Clarice is kind of mulling over his name and. The fact that there's somebody else here at this point um, as she starts walking in. And then she starts noticing a lot of stuff. She notices big thing of plastic wrap, um, whole lot of thread, general disheveled nature of everything uh, as they talk. Uh, and he's like taking a really long time tearing through these business cards as they talk about, you know, the case and everything, how the cops are just kind of useless down there in Ohio. Um, and then she sees that moth and she pops off the button on her holster. Yep. Yep. And, um, yeah. um, She's suspicious. She sees the moth. She puts two and two together at that point. And then he sees the realization in her face. And he's got to, he's got to cover his mouth with his hand and the business card because he's starting to laugh. Um, it's, it's funny to him that this thing that's in front of him you know, thinks that it's got something on him. He he is. I don't even know exactly how to phrase it. Just that he is so confident in his power and what he has become and what he is becoming that just, this seems like the most trivial. Yeah. Um, at which point, you know, she pulls out her gun and tells him to freeze and, you know, turn around, boozing, you know, all that shit. 
and he manages to slip away around the corner, uh, grab his gun and run down to the basement. Um, so what's, what's your take on this interaction between them and when she really realizes, is it before the moth? It's, it's very clear, at least by the mouth. But oh yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I remember from the book specifically, because obviously you get a lot more inner dialogue with that. Like okay. she's piecing it together, and then yeah, the moth comes, and she's like, "Oh shit, it's about to go down." Like this is who I'm for, and I'm alone. And let's see what's gonna happen, because she doesn't have time to call in backup. Um, so um. Uh, yeah it's i i yeah her thought process is just i love it it's this is all coming together in this climax of the movie and it's that's good on this roller coaster i love it (laughs) so good um yeah so she chases him down to the basement and uh she bursts through a door and we see the half completed woman suit for the first time and yeah that, that that's that's the thing yeah. um and then she finds Catherine in the well and Catherine's having an absolute freak out because mm-hmm. uh, she just wants to be taken out of there it's totally get it also totally get uh Clarice telling her she's gotta shut up and keep that dog quiet because um of the situation that they're in um Starling, uh, you know, bluffs a little bit, screaming out that the other officers will be there any minute now. Um, sure. Um, but she continues to clear the basement and finds what is probably a de- decomposing Mrs. Lippman, uh, right before the lights go out. It looks like bad chili. It's just, it's so. Good. Oh God. Oh, I'm yeah, so sorry. That, I just heard that, chili. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's. I, I'm pretty sure that's Mrs. Lippman. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I have no reason to doubt otherwise, uh, because I think he clearly dumped all of his other victims in rivers. Um, yeah, so that's, I guess, why I really want to know how much of... I mean, did he just kill her and settle into this house? Did he actually purchase it? I, I don't know for sure what's what if he had bought the house was there any reason for him to you know kill her and keep her in a bathtub there because she probably would have been gone um i think that he has killed her to use this property as his lair Mm -hmm. while he keeps the other home in the chicago area just uh as a way of you know like a like an extra layer of security to keep himself off uh, people's mm-hmm. radar. Yeah. Like, I remember from from the book, because, like, during that interview that Clarice does right before this, like, they said how, like, there was a guy who worked with Mr. with Mrs. Lippman, and it was Jim Gump. But I, I think it was another JG name, of course. Um, and, like, that's how they knew it was, like, Frederica and the other and Jamie worked together. Um, and then like, that's how they knew each other. And then of course that's how he knew Mrs. Lippman. But I don't, I, I'm pretty sure like, like what you said, like he just killed her and, and used it as a lair. 
Yeah, because it was the perfect, um, perfect place to do what he wanted to do. Um, you know, you had this basement that is very clearly um, well removed from the rest of the house, and it's not like there's other houses that are right up against it. I think there was like a trailer across the train tracks, and that's about mm-hmm. it. Um, so yeah, it, it was all just too convenient and probably because he was doing work for her there, you know, just, this was the perfect, uh, perfect moment. So these lights go out and then we just get the, you know, the sound of the night vision goggles turning on and, and this is pre Sam Fisher. Uh, so we don't have those associations when seeing this movie back in the early nineties. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Clarice stumbling around in the dark, mm-hmm. absolutely terrified. Yeah. And, oh. and you know how close he is as well, because you're seeing it from mm-hmm. his perspective. Like he's right there. Oh yeah. And, like a few he times has... he goes to touch her. Oh, yeah. Man. Oh, I love that. He's like, yeah. Second guesses himself from brushing her hair and then reaching up to her face. And he has such control. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. Uh, so he does his little reach out and then he's like, okay, enough of this. And he goes to, you know, cock the hammer on this hand cannon. And that's the sound the clues are in that she's immediately behind and she just unloads on him and how she's able to get the drop on him and is just so much quicker when basically all he had to do is pull the trigger at that moment. Right. And he does get off a shot. You know, she's got, you know, basically a burn from the, the muzzle flash on her face, I think. Um, but yeah, she airs him out and she shatters a window in the meantime, lighting some light on the subject, which is just kind of perfect because, you know, they both drop to the ground. He's drowning in his own blood. Uh, and, you know, she's catching her breath and then sees all the news clippings about Buffalo Bill on the wall because, of course, he's following his own story. And... Also, yet another thing that's a reminder of uh, butterflies and moths. There's the little uh, spinny thingy. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yes, she has won the day. Uh, And I think it's almost comical that as Catherine Martin is escorted outside, she's cradling this dog and won't (laughs) let it go. This dog that was kind of her nemesis. Uh, (laughs) Maybe she feels bad that she broke its leg. I don't know. Poor precious, poor precious. Yes, poor precious. (laughs) Played by Darla. That's that's the dog's name in the credits, Darla. Good for Darla. Yeah, yeah, probably first and only role. (laughs) Um, You know, when you have that high of a role, where else can you go? (laughs) I guess, yeah. Yeah, um, and uh, we get Crawford shielding Starling from the press uh, as he, you know, guides her out. You know, he's, you know, concerned about, you know, what happened to her face, but she kind of shrugs it off. 
and we cut right to her graduation uh, from there. Uh, and she's walking across the stage. The flash bulbs go off and all that. And Ardelia gives her big thumbs up from the audience. And we see Crawford in the back, and he just kind of dips uh, after she's uh, done uh, accepting her diploma. Um, and we're right to the reception from here. And that's where I think you have something you'd like to bring up. So, so the the doctors are back, baby. Well, the maybe not PhD and the doctor. So at the at the, at the end of the book, uh, Starling and uh, the doctor, um, they get together, and then um, and then the other the non PhD guy gets together with her roommate. And they go on a cute little double date up to a cabin, and that's how Silence of the Lamb the book ends. Is just them having a nice little vacation. I don't a remember cabin. a bit of that. <laughs> like I said, it's been a long time since I read that book. But uh, wow, that's that's kind of funny. Um, so that's why they're they, randomly there. They're just, they're just hanging out, you know. Yeah, and, and it feels so forced. The the non PhD posing for his photo with Ardelia, and she doesn't look as creeped out as she probably should. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah like maybe that was a scene that was cut i i don't know um how much was left on the floor with this movie but it seems pretty economical you know it's not a long movie it's under two hours um but yes uh ardelia pops up into this little exchange to like uh clarice um know that um uh, she has a phone call and they call each other special agent because <laughs> yeah they're officially uh they're officially fbi now um and before uh she can get to the phone crawford kind of steals her away just so that he can offer his congratulations and she thanks him and he tells her that her father would have been proud and she shakes his hand and it's a very nice moment between the two um I, I really don't think there's all the skeevy insinuation that Lecter put out there. He is basically just fucking with her. But, um, you know, I think they have such a genuine respect for each other. And it comes through, especially in this scene. Right. And he tells her not to forget about her phone call. And luckily, Clarice, have the lamb stopped screaming? Oh, Dr. Lecter. Uh, yeah. Don't bother with the trace. I won't be on, on long enough. Uh, it's just, I, I love all the dialogue here. I have no plans to call on you. Clarice, the world's more interesting with you in it. So you take care now to extend to me the same courtesy. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. And then the way he says, bye. <laughs> before oh, so hanging good. up the phone and she's just left repeating dr lecter dr lecter dr lecter oh, and we cut to bimini uh where chilton's getting off this plane and he's all nervous about security at the hotel and everything and lecter's got that funky wig on and the cool hat and the shades no, no one and expected thing nope and uh, he just stalks off after Chilton into the credits. And I love that they just let the scene play out with the entirety of the credits <laughs> running. It's so good. It's like the end of Weekend at Bernie's, but no, it's the end of the Lambs. <laughs> like, it it's like, seems like such like a vacation movie with just the end credits, but no, 
It's much more sinister than Yeah, that's Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs! Ah. Okay, I I know you've got stuff in your notes there. Come Um, on now. Of course I've got stuff in my notes. Um, (laughs) So, of of course, um, me with any uh, movie adaptation, um, I do have some gripes (laughs) that were things from the book that weren't in the movie. Um, Although, I will say, I did not get as mad with this adaptation as I have gotten with other adaptations like the shining i have words about the shining but um i think one of the bigger things was um the amount of jack crawford obviously jack crawford pretty prominent in the movie still um with clarice already or everything but like we get more backstory with about him in the books like um his uh he had a whole wife backstory like his wife who she dies in hannibal but in Silence of the Lambs, she's still alive, and she's going through her cancer treatment. She actually dies halfway through the book. Um, so, like, you get, like, that Jack Crawford backstory, um, which uh, I, I liked because I just like backstory on characters. Um, but um, I think that was, like, one of the main things that I noticed um, when I watched this for the first time in terms of differences between the, the uh, adaptations. Um, I also think Jack Crawford looks like... A, Woodrow Wilson, um, the president. I don't know why, but that was that was that was my connection. <laughs> he he's so like put together and um like just over the top professional in this. Right. Versus uh my other couple of like immediate touchstones for Scott Glenn, uh Hunt for Red October and um uh, the character that he plays in the Netflix Marvel shows, uh, sticks, um, basically the mentor for, uh, Matt Murdock's daredevil. Oh, okay. Ah, interesting. But, uh, stick, I think it's stick singular. Maybe it is stick. Shit. I, okay. Um, yeah, I get that. Um, you know, if you're a fan of a particular book and then there's an adaptation and there's a lot that's like cut out uh for the sake of, you know, making a 2-hour movie, mm-hmm. I I can get the frustration with that for sure. The Shining is a very different film than the book. Mm-hmm. I like both. Right. Um I think the film stands on its own as a film. It's just that if you have the knowledge of what happens in the book, it's easy to get upset about it. I think the sequel, uh, Dr. Sleep, uh, particularly the film adaptation, uh, does a really good job of marrying the film and the book of The Shining together and then basically changing a little bit of the plot from the book of Dr. Sleep to kind of make everything come together and it's a mike flanagan film so he has so much respect for stephen king and it's just a fucking gorgeous film if you ever do see it seek out the director's cut because it plays like more of like a mini series than a film and it's the one of the fastest three hours you will ever watch and ewan mcgregor's great as a grown-up danny (laughs) i i can imagine yeah i didn't i didn't realize he played it Oh yeah, uh, that sold me even more. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> what um, else you got? 
Um, I really wanted to try the FBI cake at the end during the graduation. I may have been a little hungry when I watched this last night, but that cake looked really that cake good. Looks good. That looks expensive. It's FBI cake. I hope it's expensive. <laughs> I mean, we're paying for it. Um, exactly. I hope it's a damn good cake. I hope it's layered and everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's a circle. Like, you better be getting, you're getting long slices. Like, that was a decently sized cake. Oh, I really want cake. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, yeah. Um, I also really liked. Um, I, I don't know if this. I may be overthinking this. Um, but my with my very limited horror knowledge, but the the mask that Hannibal has during the when he's transported when Chilton's <laughs> in his cell, it looks like half of the um the Friday the Thirteenth Jason hockey mask, like half of it with like the holes and the the. I might, once again, I might just be overthinking, but I'm like, oh, horror stuff, maybe, who knows, maybe that's similar, maybe that's homage, it's probably not, but I was like, oh, that look, sort of looks like the hockey I, mask. I have absolutely no idea, I would think that if there was some type of mask like that for people that are, you know, let's say, biters, mm-hmm. um, that it makes sense that it would have a few holes in it for right. airflow, um, yeah. you know, just because otherwise it'd be incredibly uncomfortable, um, I like the clear version of it on Hannibal. Yeah, I do. I do. I, do. So I love, I'm going to go back in. Uh, I really like the, this, this, the posters for season two um, was like very much so like the Anthony Hopkins Hannibal, but with Bill Graham. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really, I, I liked that, that crossover a lot because it's like, oh shit, what did Will Graham do? Um, uh-huh. I really liked that a lot because I really liked Will Graham and I was like, oh my god, not our <laughs> our little boy with all of his dogs. I oh. know. <laughs> it was just encephalitis. Come on. <laughs> Go. He did nothing wrong. Ish. <laughs> yeah, ish, you know. <laughs> not as bad as Hannibal, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he wasn't perfect. Oh God! More perfect animal. <laughs> um, I also after watching this, I'm trying to think of who I liked better as Crawford, um, oh. Lawrence. The like, I know his last name has fish in it. Lawrence Fishburne. Fishburne. Yeah, oh. Lawrence Fishburne. Or, um, you just said his name, and I can't think of the actor. Scott name. Glenn. Scott Glenn. I really liked both of their versions of of jack Crawford. yeah um I, f- so hard. I feel like lawrence fishburne at that time period um with that first season because that was like 2013 he was just coming off of like a steady stream of roles where he plays that kind of like boss and whatever the organization is that the other characters need to interact with and he mm-hmm. does you know even as uh, Harry White and Man of Steel, uh, I think in the same year uh, or maybe the year later. Um, that film's actually a lot better than people give it credit for, except for the end of the film. Uh, but <laughs> as Superman films go. Um, but there was that, uh, Contagion, uh, which, oof, if you happen to watch that at any point throughout the pandemic, boy, does that film hit hard. <laughs> Um, I remember hearing about it. I didn't watch it, but I remember definitely hearing about it on Twitter. It's like, oh, it, yeah. It's a really good um, <laughs> pandemic movie. Um, <laughs> and it's just so prescient 
um, because basically everything that you know went wrong for us basically happens in that film. Um, yeah, but yeah, he he plays um, somebody like high up in the CDC. He's almost like the Anthony Fauci of that film. Oh, um, okay. But uh, yeah, anyway, he's good in that. Um, it, I think there's some other stuff too that I'm forgetting. But um, yeah, um, it's just a steady string of those types of roles. Um, I really like his Jack Crawford. I love his interaction with, at the time, his actual wife as his wife, uh, Gina oh, Torres. Shit, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, oh, uh, they were married at the time. They, I can't remember exactly when they split up, but, um, but yeah, it, wow. and you can tell. I mean, the chemistry right. is very that, real between I was them. Thinking, wow, they got good chemistry. Oh, that makes so much sense now. They oh, yeah. did have real chemistry. But yeah, Scott Glenn is uh, really good in the role. Um, mm-hmm. I can't think who plays Crawford in Manhunter, but. Um, William Peterson as, uh, you know, of CFI, uh, CFI, that's a company that does work for us, uh, CSI <laughs> fame, uh, plays Will Graham. Okay. Um, and I think definitely a better job than Edward Norton in uh, the Red Dragon remake. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. Uh, like I said, would love to get your opinion on that one. It's a movie, all right, and definitely feels <laughs> 1980s. Um Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then that that came out before this. So they they filmed this in sequential order. They filmed Red Dragon, The Sounds of the Lambs, and Hannibal. Yeah, is that right? Um, or? So, Silence of the Lambs was the first um, Anthony Hopkins Lecter movie, oh. and then there was Hannibal years later, and then they went back then and they... remade Red oh. Dragon. Um, and then we now. got Hannibal Rising, and we don't talk about Hannibal Rising, but <laughs> um, it's, it's so good. <laughs> oh. oh no! Although I like the stuff from that story that they brought into the TV series Hannibal, it's just that was the best of all the Thomas Harris stuff thrown into a blender, and you know, let's just just make changes as we need to, and uh, just have fun with it. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, Manhunter is very much its own thing. It did not cause I actually I can't remember what year that movie came out versus The Silence of the Lambs because I think Red Dragon was like late seventies or early eighties. Um, can't remember exactly when Thomas Harris started this series, but regardless, um, yeah, that's kind of the chronology. Yeah, no, I, 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 I still, I don't know why I fell in love with the series versus anything else, but I just, like, I've never read a book. There are very few books, I should say, that I read as fast as I read Silence of the Lambs, and then, like, even working my way up to watching it, um, I was like, shit, this is good and i shouldn't have waited this long to read and watch it um uh, i feel like i tore through red dragon similarly that book just flies by that's so um, good. It's so good. It's a, 
I love that so much of it got adapted into yeah, oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love that so much of it made its way into Hannibal before they actually did the Red Dragon story arc in the second mm-hmm. half of the third season mm-hmm. um uh just so perfect yeah and Scott they're, Thompson they're there's Scott Thompson oh. in the show which is awesome <laughs> oh yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> there there's like different things that I'm like picking up throughout each thing throughout like like the size of the movie and then the books and then the Hannibal TV show I'm like oh my god it's all coming together this is great I know where this everything comes from now oh it's oh my god so good so good I'm gonna be really sad when I like tear through everything and finish it all it's uh well that's yeah the, the beauty part is there's not a lot Right. So it's very easy to go back and rewatch a lot yeah, of this true. stuff and get your yeah. fix. Um, uh, I, I remember because uh, I, I started watching Hannibal when I was in, in London and I had mentioned it to a co-worker. And then like for the rest of my time in London, he always kept asking me, where are you in Hannibal? Where are you in Hannibal? And then my last night that I saw him, I remember I... It may have been a few pints in, but I remember telling him, I'm going to write you an essay when I finish Hannibal because he told me <laughs> there was a big plot twist at the end and then they canceled the show. So I knew that was coming, but I didn't know what it was because I hadn't read Red Dragon yet. I had only read Silence of the Lambs. And I remember I finished it and just messaging him in all caps. They can't end the show that way. <laughs> like I was furious. I was so mad. I immediately started Red Dragon. Because I needed, I, I needed something like I was. Just... Yeah, I, I think that's basically when I read Red Dragon as well. Uh, the show was done. Um, yeah, and I needed the fix. Yeah, it's. Mm. I I have had to start like being careful because it's like, Science of the Lambs. I feel, I got I did read like around campus a few times, like waiting for food, like for <laughs> dinner or whatever, and I remember, I did get a few looks. Because it's like, there's just a random girl reading Silence of the Lambs, and she's freaking oblivious to everything else. Um, And I'm just like, God, it's so good. Listen, read the book. It's amazing. It's fine. We won't get too many nightmares. Do it. Um, although I will say the, the, I got, I had the, no, I have the mass market copy back, uh, or uh, paperback of Sons of the Lambs and it just has Anthony Hopkins eyes as Hannibal on the spine of it. And I, it's in my bookshelf back home. I have it flipped the other way because I just can't, I can't stand just his gaze at me in my bookshelf staring at me. I just know he's there. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> Well, perhaps, McKenna, this will, you know, act as something more of a gateway into uh, this type of stuff for you. You just never know. Uh, As much as you seem to like all of this, I highly recommend Fincher's Zodiac. Um, If you haven't seen it. Yep, yep. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. I'm writing it down. It's it's gonna yeah. happen. <laughs> you got Robert Downey Jr. You got Jake Gyllenhaal. You got Mark Ruffalo. Anthony Edwards. You got all sorts of people in this three hour epic about the Zodiac Killer. Oh um, shit! Get out. Okay, yeah. It is yeah. Fincher as all get out with all the camera <laughs> movements and everything. It's very very cool. Uh, it's 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 a little 
slow because it is, you know, kind of a procedural thing and it takes place over several decades, but, uh, but it's, um, it's, it's cool. And if you happen to like that and you like Bong Joon-ho, um, check out Memories of Murder. It's one of his earlier films um, that very clearly inspired Fincher with Zodiac uh, in that it takes place in South Korea. It is about one of the first documented, documented cases of a serial killer. And Ooh. at the time, um, their forensic science in South Korea was just not good. Uh, they had to like send a lot of stuff out to the States uh, for analysis. Um, and it's, it's a very interesting story. Uh, just insanely shot. Um, it's, it's got a lot of those Bong Joon-ho sensibilities that you've seen throughout his other films, but, uh, it's, it's cool. Um, (laughs) that one might be on Hulu actually. Um, (laughs) But again, this is sort of the horror adjacent, more the thriller. Uh, so well, easier going for some folks, I guess. But for those people that say, I don't like horror. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah you does. do. Deep down. <laughs> There's something for everyone. Absolutely. I'm um, afraid of everything. If I can find something, anyone can find something. Like Speaking of fear, I got to know, did you ever find out? Bathroom or kitchenette? Okay, I found out it was a uh, kitchenette. <laughs> it was because uh, that person moved out soon after we recorded that episode of HBO Max, and the door to their bathroom was open, and I could see like their the shower and everything. I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense now. It's their actual kitchenette and bedroom, not the bathroom, which I'm a little disappointed in. You know, that made for a good story. Just watching some dude eating food like every week in a bathroom. Yeah, yeah. And I love that it made it into just a, <laughs> multiple episodes of your show. Um, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you've made it this far into this podcast, by all means, leave Kitchenette in the comments below. Just let us know. Let us know that you've made it this far. Uh, <laughs> McKenna, any final thoughts on The Silence of the Lambs? Watch it. Do it, please. It's been out, what, 30, <laughs> 31 years now. Do it. Everyone needs to watch it and experience it. Um, yes. Listen. Or not listen to The Silence. But listen. Because it's good. Everything's yes. good. And read the book. Yes. Yes, cool. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, God, I just don't read like I did when I was much younger. Um, but that would be a fun reread. Um, just, you know, for giggles. Yes, uh, of course. yeah. McKenna, if you'd like, where can people find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Potterpants212. There's a link in my bio for other places you can find me. Um, primarily, uh, HBO Max, HBO MAKS, which is a movie review show that I with one of my good friends, Jose Ruckus, and we have had Joe on before. Very fun episode about Blade Runner. Grand old time. Mm-hmm. Check that out. Um, you check out all the other episodes. I think they're pretty fun. Um, there's some anger. Um, there's gripes. There's trivia. You, you got it. There's movies. 
there's love. Um, you got it all. <laughs> all the emotions, of course. Questions about neighbors, dorms. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> no, it's a cool show. And, you know, yeah. there's uh, the occasional Simply Sassy episode as well. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. That's always good stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you are uh, prolific in the podcast space. That's for sure. <laughs> you, yeah, I've you, had my hand in a few things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, always good to see. Um, well, this has been Murders with Mertens, a horror film podcast. Thank you for letting us tickle your ear holes. Uh, please like, share, and subscribe if you are so inclined. I'll be back soon enough with another episode. But until next time, stay spooky, everyone.